Hello, welcome to Bible Marathon and it's dinner time. The word of God we believe is the best sustenance for the spirit, which is why we are taking our time to study and dine on the word of God. So, join us at the table for word dinner. Welcome everybody. Um, if you're tuning in on Mixlr, welcome as well. We're going to get started shortly. I'm just going to pray for us and... Um, we should be good to go. All right. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Oh, thank you, Lord, because we're going to have an amazing time today. Thank you because your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Thank you because your word is easy. We can know you. We can understand you. We can grow. We can experience you. Even as we fellowship in your word this time, we receive insight, revelation, understanding into the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, I just want you guys to get comfortable. For those who are joining us for the first time, this is Bible Marathon, but this is also Word Dinner. It's one of the things we have. Can you guys still hear me? Am I frozen? Okay. Um, it's one of the platforms that we have here to ensure that we're growing in our faith. And one of the ways to grow in your faith is to study the Bible. I don't know if you guys know this popular song. I, it's so profound, but, you know, people have joked with it so much. And it does, it has, it, you know, it's a children's song. But I can tell you for a fact that it is more crucial for an adult as it is for a child. And that song is... Read your Bible, pray every day if you want to grow. Yeah, everybody is my minute. It's so true. I'm not joking. Like, it's literally that simple. If you ask a person, hey, what's the problem? And they say, oh, I'm struggling with this. Those are two questions you can ask. Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying every day? Because if you're doing those, you will actually find victory in your life. Like, that's just it. There's nothing profound. You have to go up to a mountain. You don't have to do anything crazy if you really want to experience growth it's those two basic things and we'll find out why those things are important because i think romance does a great job on that um but yeah that's what this platform is for it's for you to grow in your study of the word so we're going straight into the word of god i want you guys to grab your bibles i want you to write i want you to put get questions we are going into the most exciting book I was waiting for this moment for so long because there are two, two of my best books in the entire Bible. They were not the, my best books before, but now they're the very best books ever. It's Romans and Hebrews. And you know why I like both of them? It's because they are centered on that one person, which is Jesus. Um, we're going to study Hebrews eventually. We want, like, for those of you who grow old with us, we'll get to Hebrews <laughs> You know, but um, Romans is like a compendium of everything that the Christian needs to understand about being a Christian. What does it mean? How did you get saved? You know, what's the problem? Why is there a solution? So many questions are answered. So as a Christian, if you're going to live a very amazing Christian life, or if you're going to even be able to answer questions, tough questions that people might ask you, you know, about your faith. I can tell you for a fact that Romans has something to say about the question, you know. 
so that's that's one of the things okay i think victoria is going to help just adding people so um please do that so i, w- I won't be distracted at all all right so let's get into the, the book the book of romans um how many of you were here with us for the book of acts some of you were here i know for a long period of time we stayed very long in in that book but we finally finished it and you see how books are connected as we move on because romans is actually a response to something that happened in the book of acts or let me say something paul did in his journey from the jews to the gentiles all right so you're going to see all of that together so let's get into the word of god my promise to you is you know is this please if you stick with us till the end if you can stick with us i'm begging you stick with us during this journey if you miss any day it's fine we can always you know you can always catch up but please please and please don't miss any sunday if you can like just make sure it's it's part of your not sunday sorry friday if you can because my promise to you is that if you stay with us you will ultimately know god you will ultimately know him and love him more all right, so let's get into it immediately. All right, let me put this up here. So today, I'm going to do something different. Normally, we'll have, you know, different people read, but because I'm introducing you to this book, I don't want to lose the opportunity to bring up some very crucial points. All right, so just flow with me as I read. All right, I'm reading from the NKJV. It starts like this, it says, Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. You know, I, I have, you guys know letter writing generally. Letter writing in our day today is you just put the address at the top and, you know, your name is at the bottom. Yours sincerely, then you put your name like Dara or Damilola, right? In those days, ancient writings, they had to put their name immediately at the very start. Paul, that's who I am. I'm the one writing this. So you notice that every time in, you know, in the epistles, that's always the case. Ephesians, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, called to be a saint. Or Peter, you know, he's always, they always write their letters starting that way. But Paul writes his his this way because he wants to establish authority at the very start as well. So he wants to let you guys know, hey, I'm not just one random guy. I am Paul. I am a servant of Jesus. I am an apostle. So listen to me. (laughs) All right. And then he says, separated unto the gospel of God. Those are two very powerful things. And I I, I don't want to make any assumption here. So some of you may have been in church all your lives. So you've heard these words. You know them. There are a lot of words that will come up in the study of uh, Romans that will make you trip up a little bit. So I'll make sure that during that during that time we will not assume anything we we'll define terms we we'll define everything so that once you see it you know what it's talking about one of the key words we need to define right now is gospel who can tell me what gospel is just as a word forget the fact that it's in the bible as a word the word gospel what does it mean good news good news okay anyone else Okay, so that means we all agree. Give me another synonym. I really want you guys to get this. Gospel. 
Okay. Something that's too good to be true. Okay, good, too good to be true. All right. But you see, you said good news, right? So two aspects of it. It's something very pleasant. And it is news. When we say I want to watch news, what is news about? It's about happenings, right? Things that have occurred. I cannot turn on the TV and go to like what what TV? What channels? What channels are there for news anymore? I don't know. It's been a while I watch TV. CNN. <laughs> okay, so let's assume CNN, right? You don't go there and then they are telling you, and you say you are watching news, and they are telling you future events. It's never the case. It's like, hey, here's the news. Here's what happened. This, 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 right? Hi, Dami. Good to see you. Um, right? That's always how it is. It's always a case of this has happened. So when we say good news, it's really just a simple term to rep- or the gospel to represent something good. So you have to qualify it. So I can say, wow, what Victoria told me yesterday was gospel. And I'll be right for saying it because it's a word. I can use the word like that. It was good news. Something pleasant that happened. So when you hear the gospel or you qualify it with a term, the with the article the, then we know we are talking about a specific message, specific news about something in particular. Now, how does Paul qualify it? He calls it the gospel of God. All right, so pay attention to this. We don't just say gospel, except it has been qualified. If you see the word gospel, don't assume. Make sure you look at the context. But many times the word gospel is used in the Bible. It's referring to a specific message about God. And this is a message. It's it's not just good news. It's the gospel or the good news about God. You see, one of the things I found out just studying through Romans is that the word God appears 153 times in this particular book. And it appears the most in Romans over all the other books in the New Testament. That's very important. That's, that's crucial to know. Because it's telling you that, hey, it's about God. It's really all about God. This, see, you'll find out at the end of the book of Romans. Write it down. So when I'm saying it at the end, God willing, you'll be like, it's true. And I said it too. Write it down. God is for God. <laughs> Write it down. Very in bold letters. God is for God. And what do I mean by that? Everything God does is for his sake. And that should not be a problem to us. That should be something exciting to us. Here's why. God is the only perfect person or being that exists. So everything he does is right. Everything he says is right. Every thought he has is right. So if he is for himself, then you are a beneficiary if he comes to do something for you. And I'll explain that in better detail as we go on. Because some of you are like, okay, I'm trying to grasp that. But it's a process. Don't worry. You'll get it. But just understand that God is for God. His plans, his purposes. In fact, if you remember Psalm 23, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, most of you can quote all of that. He gets to a part where he says, he leads me in in part of righteousness for his name's sake. Most people don't know that that's there. He's doing all of that for his own sake. <laughs> he's doing what he does because he is God and he's doing it for himself. Why did he even have to create us in the first place? 
Revelation 4.11, for his pleasure they were created. All right? So that's very core. Because we live in a, in a time when everything is like, you know, self-love, you know, all about me. All up, I'm the focus of the entire universe. And the reality is the people that live like that are the most depressed. Because true satisfaction comes from finding your full satisfaction in God, not in yourself. And so Paul is bringing the best news ever. And it's the news, the good news about God. And then he goes in verse 2. Wow, we're still in verse 2. <laughs> Glory to God. Um, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So this is not new news. So I, I'm, not, I'm using that word repeatedly, but it's not new. The, what we are talking about is not something new. It's not something just crafted. Paul is saying, this thing is not just something I just came up with. This is historical, backed up news. And not only was it news, it was prophesied. So everything I'm going to talk to you about was written many years ago by the prophets. They said this will happen and it finally happened. And so that's what he's saying here. He's saying, I've been called by God with a gospel, the gospel of God, good news about God. And this good news was promised even before, I'm telling you this, long before I brought this to you by the prophets. And throughout the book, guess what? You're going to see this happen where Paul will quote the prophets to prove his point. So that's very, very crucial. And then what is it really about? He says prophets in the Holy Scriptures about what? So what, is the, what are the details or what is the major point? What is the focus of this gospel? We know it's the gospel of God, but what is the major focus? He says concerning his son, Jesus Christ. The gospel is about Jesus it's about Jesus. You know, it's the center of our Christianity or the Christian faith. It's not morals. It's not motivation. It's not prosperity. It's not, you know, feeling good or happy with yourself. No. The core message or the core center of Christianity is a person. That, that's something Paul does not leave out. He starts the, his letter and he thinks it's important to tell them immediately at the get-go that, guys, this is about Jesus. And then he's about to define who Jesus is. And he does something very powerful in verse 3 and verse 4. He shows Jesus to be, I'm going to use a, a theological term, all right? But I want you to just take note of it because it will help you. He describes something called the hypostatic union. Hypo. You guys know hypo if you've watched before and um static that sound you hear when stuff is going out you know static or normal word static if you're not moving hypostatic union what does that mean it's that divine reality where man unites with god or better said a god man <laughs> That's the hypostatic union, that someone can both be God and be man at the same time. And so Paul is about to show us that in verse 3 and verse 4. He says, I'm talking about Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, meaning we can trace his genealogy. If you trace it back, it's linked to David. 
You know, and if you read Matthew chapter 1, you see all of that. This person begat this, begat this, ah, very long list, and you finally get to Jesus, right? And David is in that lineage, all right? So he's telling you that this Jesus I'm writing to you about is a real human being. You can trace his genealogy to David according to the flesh. And then verse 4, he says, and declared to be the son of God with power. So now this is something, I don't need to miss this. What he says here is that this man who is 100% man, you can trace his lineage to another man. He's, he's also the son of God with power and he's declared to be that. How? It says, by the resurrection from the dead. So the proof that this Jesus Christ was truly God is that he rose from the dead. This is core to our faith, guys. This is like, this is, centri- this is Christianity 101. Why are you a Christian? It's because something happened in history. Someone died, rose up, never to die again. He's seated right now. He's alive as we speak. He's hearing us right now. That's big. That is core. So Jesus Christ is the son of God, according to the fl- um, son of David, according to the flesh, but he's also the son of God. How? Revealed by his resurrection from the dead, by the Holy Spirit. So that phrase, spirit of holiness, is in the, in the Greek, it's still hegios, you know, um, pneuma, hegios pneuma, which is Holy Spirit. Holy, so it's, it's kind of just a way to rephrase it. So it was shown to be the Son of God by the Holy Spirit, by being raised from the dead. All right, so don't get lost in that. Are we still together, guys? All right, I'm taking my time here because this is the very first one. I'm trying to build the themes very carefully. Then verse 5, he says, Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. This is brilliant. This is amazing. He's saying, through Christ, through him, we have received grace. So we've received something a free gift, and we've also been given a responsibility. So here's the, here are the two things that come with being a Christian. Not only do you receive grace, the free gift of righteousness, which we'll talk about shortly, the gift of God, you also receive an assignment. All right? In Paul's case, it's apostleship. He's, he's giving grace, which is the free gift of God, meritless you know, um, he, could, he couldn't do anything to merit it. He got it free of charge. But at the same time, he's also given a ministry. And Paul talks about it in Second Corinthians. We have a ministry of reconciliation. So he's an apostle and he has received grace. And what is it for? For obedience to the faith. That means to bring people to obey God, to put their trust in God's plan. That's what he means by obedience to the faith. And not just from one group, but from all the nations. For who? For his name. You guys are seeing that theme. God is for God. He's doing it for his own sake. All right. So when he says he's calling, you know, uh, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. And then he tells us, you guys, you guys in Rome that I'm writing to, you are also the called of Jesus Christ. Why are they the called of Jesus Christ? Because of the previous verse, they have obeyed the faith. They have trusted in Jesus. 
all right? They put their faith and their trust in this Jesus Christ. And then he goes to verse 7. And here's how we'll see the connection with the book of Acts. I mean, it's so profound. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. He says, To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. And he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is his introduction. This is like, this is who I am, my name, my purpose, and here's what I'm you know, writing this letter for. That's what we just read, verse 1 to verse 7. But I don't want to rush this. He says two things here. He says, beloved of God and called to be saints. So if you're if you are taking notes, if you're highlighting or you're doing anything like that, two things to pay attention to here. Beloved of God and called to be saints. So let's talk about beloved of God. It's very easy for anyone to be convinced that they are sinners, right? Nobody needs to like, in fact, it's the easiest thing I can do. I can start teaching, preaching to you and saying, you know, you've done bad things, right? And you will not even, you will not argue. I don't think there's anyone here that will argue with me and say, I know I'm, I'm hundred percent perfect. No, I can do a very good job in showing you how terrible you are, but I can tell you for a fact that it is a lot harder to show someone how loved of God they are. It's way harder because, you know, it's one thing to just feel like, yeah, I've heard God loves me. I've heard it. You know, I've sung it many times. It's a beautiful song. Yes, God really loves me. I know, you know, for some of us, that love still looks like a mushy feeling. And for those of you who are not mushy naturally, you won't be able to relate to the love of God because you would just be like, nah, that's not how I receive love. For another person, you might just feel you know, this love thing, I don't know, I've been hurt many times. And maybe, maybe you had a, or you still have a bad relationship, you know, with your family members, maybe your father, and then someone tells you, you have a loving father. That thing is not going to get through to you. I know people I've spoken to for a long time, you know, just guiding them through scripture. And they're just being honest, like, hey, Ernest, like, I don't know what it means to be loved by a father. So when you tell me God loves me, as a father, I don't get it. And see, that, that's, that's true. That happens. People experience that. It's a legitimate feeling. But I can promise you, the love of God is not mushy. You might have emotions or you might have this, you know, this time when you're lifting up holy hands, you're listening to Maverick City and you're crying and you're like, oh my God, God is so kind. You know, those are those moments and they are beautiful. Cherish them. But you can't build your faith on those feelings. All right. And then even you can't even build your faith on a semblance on what you think love is. So if you are someone who has struggled with the love of your parents or you've been in a very bad series of breakups, you don't have faith in this concept of love anymore. Right. You're probably that person that is like, see, don't talk to me about love. So when you hear God loves me, it's like, yeah, just you're just saying rubbish. But I'll tell you that God's love surpasses that. In fact, Paul was talking in Ephesians and he said, God wants you to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. <laughs> Notice that. To know, that's knowledge, right? To know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. If, eh? <laughs> that's true. Okay, we know the wise man. We don't need to tell anybody. Okay, so, um, oh, you've made me lose my train of thoughts now. Yeah, Ephesians 3, thank you. All right. In Ephesians 3, 
Paul says, you know, I, I pray for you. I want you to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. That means there's a love, there's a knowledge of love you can get that is not scientific. It's deeper. And that's what I want you guys to desire to have from this study. And I promise you, by the end, if you stay with us, man, you'd, you would love God more. I promise you. Like, you just see how grand his plan is. And you know that his love is not superficial or shaky. It's fixed. It's a powerful love. All right. So you're beloved of God. Um, it is what? Is that for me? What's the question? It's not superficial. Is that what you want it? Yeah. God's love is not a superficial love. It's, it's deep. It's wide. It's high. It's something that God has to help you comprehend by his spirit. So it's deeper than anything you've ever experienced. That's what I'm trying to say. And Paul is writing from that revelation. He says, you guys, you are beloved of God. Then he says, you are called to be saints. Now, if you have a KJV or King James, the word to be or the two words to be, they are in this square bracket. And someone might be wondering, what, what is a square bracket for? What does that represent? So the translators of the Bible, I hope I don't lose you here. Just pay attention. This is some technical detail that will help you understand. So some Bibles have italicized words, words that are slanted or put in square brackets. If you have that in your Bible, it's saying that the translator thought the sentence would not make grammatical sense without it. So they put it there so that there will be a flow. All right. But what happened, what happens many times is that sometimes the translators might get it wrong. And so they think it should be there, but it can flow without it. So what I do when I read my Bible is I first check if I'm using the KJV, how does it flow without it? Now, if it makes sense, I leave it. I'm like, don't worry. I get it. Don't, t- don't help me. But if it doesn't, then I will trust the translators because they have a deeper you know, knowledge of Greek and all of that stuff. In this case, I feel like they shouldn't have added to be because we are called saints severally in the scriptures. And, you know, when you hear the word saint, some of you, if you've had a Catholic background, that's already, you know, a, a blocker you know, in a sense, because now saints are very high up people that have access to God on your behalf that you have to pray to, you know, and that's already a barrier. The Bible calls everyone who is in Christ a saint, separated unto God, saved. All right. So when you, when we say saints, the word, the Greek word is actually um, linked to the word holy. So God actually sees you holy. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are called a holy person. Now, you may not feel holy. It's not about feelings when it comes to Christianity. Many times, it's not even about your actions. It's about God's action first and foremost that produces good actions in your life. All right. But when he says you are called saints, that's who you are. He's talking about your status. All right. Then he says grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus. And you're going to see this duality. There's always grace. And you see that Paul always mentions from the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ because he's trying to establish something that, hey, Jesus is truly the Son of God. All right? So he will do that a whole lot. All right, let's go. I'm loving this. I love romance, guys. I, love, I can read it over and over and over again. All right, so he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Now, 
is writing to Rome. Paul hadn't been to Rome at this time, but he had heard the good news. Rome at this time was like the biggest, think of the USA right now as like a world power. Rome was the world power back then. And so to hear that a church was growing and flourishing there was the biggest joy in Paul's heart. And he was like, I want to be there. So he, he said, I, I thank my God through Jesus Christ that, you know, your faith is spoken well. I've been hearing good things about you. And then he says, for God, who is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. You can see he's qualifying it again, the gospel of his son. That without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. What I, what, what I stopped to think about when I was studying this was, Paul is trying to tell them, guys, like, I swear. <laughs> because he's like, for God is my witness. Like, I'm, I'm telling you the truth that I've not stopped praying for you. And it just hits me. It's like, man, you know, many of us, we are used to saying, ah, don't worry, I'm praying for you. Now that's the end. That's the prayer. That, that thing you just said is the prayer. <laughs> you know, my advice is anytime you, you know, are with someone, someone comes to you and they have an issue, Pray for them right there. At least let it be that you actually did something. Don't be part of the people that just say, I'm praying for you, you know, or I'll pray for you. And then you just, next thing you do is watch Netflix. No judgment, you know, just make sure that you are genuine. And so Paul is that person that always appeals to his conscience. He'll be like, I have a clear conscience. You, you read with me now, right? You guys, Acts, when we're reading the book of Acts, he was always saying that with clear conscience, I did this. When he was coming to defend himself, you know, in front of the leaders, the, the, the judges then, he was always saying, I have a clear conscience before God. Can you say that? Can you say like, I, you know, I say I'll do this and I actually do it. It's difficult. We're not all perfect, but like we are meant to keep building ourselves to become that. God starts us off as holy and says, okay, now act holy. So you have that advantage. All right. So repent, oh, you know, pray for people when you tell them you'll pray for them. And then he says, what, what is his prayer? He says, making requests, if by some means, now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. So Paul was praying that I need, a, I need some supernatural opportunity to open up so that I can come to Rome. Now, those of you who were studying Acts with us, who can tell me how God answered this prayer? So you're laughing because you know. <laughs> okay. Okay, should I go ahead? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so how God answered this prayer was, he was arrested. Amen. <laughs> now, some of you are like, what? There was a shipwreck. An angel preserved their lives. And they finally got to the island called Malta, which now led to them going into Rome. That's, that was Acts 28, guys. That was the last chapter. <laughs> but that was the answer to his prayer. So some of you may, you know, and I think this is so profound. Like, that's why I tell people, see, don't just read one verse. You're cheating yourself. Don't even just read one chapter. Read the Bible because everything connects. And questions you are trying to get answers to are everywhere. But they are not just in one place. Let me tell you how this aligns. Some of you have prayed, God, I need you to do this for me. Or I need you to do this. And, you know, I want to be at this particular level. But God will not tell you how he's going to get you there. God answers prayers, guys. But he doesn't need to tell you how he will do it. 
And that's one thing you have to live with. Because a lot of the time, we want to know every detail. You know, we want to want to think that we just know how things will work out. So we don't leave it. We don't really trust God in the fullness of our prayers. We just trust him halfway. And, and God really wants us to like give up, give up totally. Like if you say you trust God, trust him with the means also. And that may be hard for a lot of us to receive. But think about how God fulfilled his plan in getting the gospel to Rome. You know, and having Paul himself come later on because the, the church was already growing before he came. But God used imprisonment and all the pampering. You guys know how Paul was pampered in prison. People were bringing food and clothes to him. And he, was, he had safe travel <laughs> to this place as a prisoner. Yes, I said trust him with your needs. Trust, trust God with everything, literally. All right. And the means through which you will perform it. So don't, don't worry about how. Just make sure that you are praying and trusting him. He loves you. That's why I said one of the biggest... Was it where it was on house arrest? Yeah. That and later on. And that was on his way to Rome. Yeah. Don't worry. Um, you'll be answering your questions in the chat. So I'll, I won't get distracted. But yeah, keep them coming. All right. All right. So he now says, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift." so that you may be established. What is he talking about here? See, as an apostle, he had, I would say, a, he was a gift. Let me start from there. The Bible talks about ministry gifts, Ephesians 4, 11. God gave the church spiritual gifts. He gave them ministry gifts, pastors, you know, teachers, evangelists, apostles, prophets, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. That's Ephesians 4.11. So God equips people supernaturally and specially. So you might see some people that are like, oh my God, see how they are growing so fast. Man, you know, some of you may have some pastors that you're looking up to and you're like, how did they do this? How did they get here? And you, you sometimes forget that God raises men to raise men. And so God works with Moses and Moses now takes care of everybody else. So God does that with the church. God raises people that we're supposed to submit to, learn from, all right, and be equipped by. So important. And so Paul was saying, if I come, I am coming with a spiritual gift of myself, but also of my fellowship with you. Because when I come, something will happen. And that's the key word there. So that you will be established. That's the that's the job of an apostle, to establish people in the faith. But then there's the other part of it. Even though he's an apostle, there's also a part, there's also a part where he will be em- equipped himself too. So he's not only just giving, but he's receiving. And that's how God has designed the church to be. It's no longer a case where there's just one man at the top, and he's the all, be all, do all. You cannot really, he cannot be blessed by you. No, God's design in the church is mutual edification. He says, I'm going to be there with you and I'll receive something from you as well, even though I'm coming to give you guys something. And then he says this, that guys, I don't want you to be unaware that I've often planned to come to you, but I was hindered until now. Meaning, even till now, as I'm writing this letter. By the way, this letter was written, I believe, 
um, in Corinth, when he was in Corinth, going to Jerusalem, and there was a lady, Phoebe, going to Rome. So he writes the letter and gives the letter to Phoebe to take it to Rome on his behalf. So he's writing and saying, guys, Mabino, don't be angry with me. I've been trying my best to come, you know, I've planned, but somehow there has been hindrances all around. And he says, I, and it was also part of God's plan in a sense, because by him not coming so soon, see what has happened. He said that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. And then he says, I'm, guys, this is what you need to know. I am both a debtor to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to wise and unwise. So he's saying, I'm, I'm a gift to everyone and I'm, I'm owing everyone. I have a message that has to be given to not just the Jews, but to the Greeks and to the barbarians, to those who seem to be outside of the scope of God's blessing. Maybe you guys don't get it. Um, that the gospel or what was thought to be the gospel for a very long time was a Jewish message. I don't know if you've opened your Bible and you're like, uh-uh, where, where are the other people in the world? Why is this so focused on only Israel, 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 Judah? You know, you just be reading, you're just seeing all this, and you're like, uh-uh, David and Goliath, Samuel. Why is this Bible so one, one, like one nation-centered? That's because salvation was through them for them. God wanted to bring about salvation for the whole world, but he had to choose a nation, and he worked with that nation particularly for a very long time. All right? And then his plan was ultimately to bring Jesus Christ, who would be the product of his work with the Israelites, to now bring salvation, open the door of salvation to both the Jews and the Greek to the Gentiles, to the whole world. So Nigerians are Gentiles, all right? Ghanaians are Gentiles. You don't have any, there's no connection with, to, with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. The only connection you have with them is by faith. You were grafted in. And you're going to understand all these terms I'm using in this book. That's what I'm saying. You guys stay till the end. This is big. This is the introduction, all right? But Paul is still trying to tell... <laughs> Your name is Israel. Okay. You know, in fact, I don't want to even bring this up now. Maybe if we have time after. There's a sect, there's a group that is growing in notoriety right now. They're called the, um, there are many names, but they are the Hebrew Israelites, black Hebrew Israelites. And they, they have this idea that they are the Israel, the actual Israel, that they exchanged the Middle Eastern Israel it's not really Israel. The black people that came to, you know, to America through slave trade and all of that stuff are the actual Israel. So they actually changed their last name to Israel. Like you see Ebuka Israel. You see um, some weird things. <laughs> I don't want to go into that now. But they have a very false premise. But the reality is that um, the gospel started off from the Jews. To the Gentiles. That's why someone asked me a question the other day, and I'm just sharing these things because I feel like it's worth the conversation. I'm not rushing at all. Someone was asking me a question um, the other day. I just lost my train of thought. It was about this whole, this whole um, Jew Gentile. Okay, yes, yes. Jesus Christ, right? When the uh, when the woman asked him for 
healing. And Jesus said, I am sent but to the lordship of Israel. And he didn't answer her. So people will look at that and say, Oh, more. Jesus is harsh. Someone is there asking for healing. And Jesus is saying, No, I brought this healing not for you, but for, for the Israelites. And then Jesus also says, Healing is the children's bread. Meaning, this, this healing is for the people who belong to my covenant, the Israelites, the people who God chose. But this woman does something interesting. She's a Syrophoenician, by the way, so she's not a, she's not a Jew. And so she says, ah, but Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs from the table. So, you know, Jesus was saying healing is the children's bread. But this woman was like, even the crumbs, at least the dogs can eat. Like, I can still find a way inside this thing. And then Jesus responded and said, great is your faith. Because Jesus saw something in the future. I mean, by extension, he already knew what he was going to do, that his work was going to save all men. But he recognized faith in this Syrophoenician woman. It was not yet her time, but she received healing. That's a powerful picture. I don't want to go into that because it's off topic for today, but it just shows you that even back then, though the, there was restriction on the plan of salvation for the Jews, there were people who were not naturally Jews that participated in it. Rahab, the prostitute, that was not a Jew, became part of the lineage of Jesus. So God had already been showing it long ago that don't worry, like it's coming for everyone. But I want to do it through a certain people. All right. So that's what Paul is basically saying. You know, Ruth. Yeah, Ruth wasn't also a Jew. Um, so I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to unwise. And so as much as is in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Paul is saying I'm ready. Nothing is going to hinder me. I'm coming. And we saw how that was fulfilled, right? He eventually went there. And then he makes, he makes the, what I call the thesis statement. Verse 16 and verse 17 is the thesis statement of the book of Romans. So if you're writing down, that's something to write down. We have like 15 minutes to go. So I will stop where I stop by the Spirit's leading. We're not going to rush this book. We're going to enjoy it. All right. It says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. Let me stop there. There's a lot of unpacking. So I said it is the thesis statement. So if you are here, you've gone to school and you've written projects, you know what the thesis statement is. It's like, this is what my whole project is about in summary. All right. So think about it as the long title all right of the book so let me break this down a bit he says i'm not ashamed of the gospel of christ why is there why is this even an issue why would he be ashamed like i won't say i'm not ashamed if there's no opportunity for shame Do you, does that make sense like if i'm somewhere and i say oh i'm not afraid you'll be like Okay, there has to be something to be afraid of for me to say I'm not afraid, right? So what what happens in this case? Now, here's the thing. He's not ashamed to preach the gospel in Rome. Rome is the capital city of power 
That's where everything is happening. That's where he could be ridiculed. He could be all these all the suffering he has suffered. That would be nothing compared to being in a place here where he's preaching something that um, will be many times refuted by these scholars. Because Rome was known for people who were extremely wise in their own you know, mind. They were deep scholars. They had you know, the best teachers and all that. No, but not only that, I don't know if you guys understand that the gospel <laughs> is a very, if not for the power in it, is a very silly message. Now, don't lose me. When I say silly, you may say, ah, NS, you are losing, using the wrong word. Paul called it foolishness. So I'm even trying to be less, <laughs> less um, di- direct with it. What do I mean? And I also want to maybe help me with that. Like, what, what part of the gospel makes it silly? Or, as Paul said, foolishness. Or why would there be something in the message that can bring shame. Who who can, you know, help with that real quick because we don't have so much time. Anybody that hasn't spoken yet, what element in the gospel has shame attached to it? And the answer will be very revealing. Evangelism. Okay. Evangelism. What is so, what is the shame in evangelism if you say it's evangelism? Like now, what I mean is, like, like me now, I used to be very, like, I, I feel ashamed going outside to go and why, talk to why, people about the why? What is, what, what is making, that's the question I'm asking. So I get you, but I'm going for the, what makes it, I mean, if I, if you want to tell someone like, hey, I'm selling ice cream, there's nothing to be ashamed about there, right? People like ice cream, right? So help me out here. But thanks for trying. Someone else. What? I think because mm-hmm. it's, it doesn't make, I'm telling you that, if you, I don't know if you have seen before, God has forgiven you your sins. It literally doesn't make sense that God loves you despite all you have done. And he died for you. Somebody died. Somebody have not okay, seen I see. Okay, I see that angle. So you are saying because, you know, someone who... It's like, if we, even that we believe, it's like, I just want the gospel one. And it was like, what sort of, it sounded like a movie in his head. It was mm. like, it doesn't make sense. So mm. like, that's what people see. So it's like, am I saying rubbish? <laughs> that kind of answer. Okay, so, I don't okay. Know. Yeah, I'm, I'm still waiting to hear something. And I know some of you know what I'm, I'm going for. But I still want to hear. Okay, because it's not according to the way things work in the world. That's good because it's, it's against the wisdom of the world, right? It's opposite. How can someone give life by dying? That's one. And then think about it. Our Lord and Savior, that is supposed to be like the, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He was... Let me let me say it this way so you get the impact. He was he was killed in an electric chair for a crime he did not commit. That's your savior, guys. I said electric chair because when I say crucified, you people will think, oh wow, glory the cross. You know, everybody's wearing neck chain that has cross. So it's so right now you are seeing it as an emblem of beauty. It was the worst way to crimi- to criminalize someone back then. So when Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He's saying it because there is a lot to be ashamed of. That your own, your own Christ, your own Messiah, your Savior, actually suffered like a criminal. In fact, he was crucified amongst thieves. You know how some people 
maybe you've been in, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where everyone believes that you did something you never did. And you just, you're just carrying that shame. That's, that's a big deal. And then exactly, they looked at him and they said, ah, if you're really the son of God, like remove, come down from that place now. And Jesus said, no, he wanted to fulfill the will of the father. So this is very big. This is something to think about that the gospel that you believe is foolishness to the human mind. That was the whole context of first Corinthians, which um, Ife is going to take us into when we get to the book of first Corinthians. Like it's a message that is very absurd. And that's why Paul calls it foolishness. But that foolishness is the power of God to save. So God chooses the foolish things to confound the wise people. So if you think you are intellectual, God says, don't worry, I'm going to even the playing field. You people went to school. This message will be easy for the most uneducated to receive. That's the love of God, guys. That's the love of God. So Paul is like, there's nothing to be ashamed of. This message is the power of God to save. And then he says it's for everyone who believes, but he says something else. That's why I said this is a thesis statement because he's trying to show you how it will happen. He says, for the Jew first and then also for the Greek. And this is him saying two things. Number one, it starts with the Jews and then comes to the Gentiles. That's the others, all the other people. But he's also saying another thing. He's saying there is no partiality with God. What do I mean by that? If it's coming to the Jews, it could have stayed alone with the Jews. But it's coming. It's also coming to you. And that's what he's saying. I'm going to show you a message or tell you a message that will change your life. And not just the life of the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. And he says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Or better put, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith from first to last. So it starts with faith and ends with faith. So there's a new righteousness is about to reveal. A righteousness that is imputed. It's not a righteousness that is attained by doing good works. Because, I mean, if I came and I said, Oh, damn, Lola, I want to give you something. I want to give you the righteousness of um, Billy Graham. I don't know if you know Billy Graham, but he was considered a really righteous man. Or... I want to give you the righteousness of what is this woman that was in Calcutta? This nun that um, did so many great things. Uh, what's her name? Oh, I've forgotten her name, but she was really well renowned. This nun, old woman, Mother Teresa, thank you. You know, people love that woman so much. She's like the epitome of righteousness. If I say I'll give you her righteousness, it still sounds nice. Like, okay, nice. But this is the righteousness of God. Ah, you guys are not getting this thing. So God's perfection, God's righteousness, he's going to impute it to you. How? That's the message he's about to preach. By faith. So the just shall live by faith, not by good works, not by morality, not by trying to attain something in your own power. It's a new way that was prophesied from the beginning. God will give you this thing without working for it. And that's the thesis statement of the rest of the book. Now, this is a good place to stop. Um, I have, I would have loved to go into the second part, but I would leave you with a cliffhanger, but we'll stop here and we'll go into um, next week. We're going to do, we'll continue from chapter 
1 verse 18 and then enter into chapter 2 because the flow is is perfect all right but let me leave you with this he started with this introduction because he's about to tell you why you need the good news and a lot of people don't get this we start our preaching when we go out with god loves you and it is absolutely right but what is the use of a cancer treatment for someone who doesn't have cancer what's the point i'll just be smiling and say wow well done doctor you are so amazing you discovered the cure wow but it's not I, i mean i don't have cancer so i don't have to worry about you know that but if i was told Ernest, you have stage two cancer. I'm like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. What do I do? And then, you, and then you say, don't worry, I have the cure. I've figured out from this scientific process how to, re- to resolve the issue. I'm going to want it. And so that's a very important element in the gospel. That you must first know the problem to appreciate the solution. He that is forgiven much will be will love much so you have to see how much of a sinner you are in order to appreciate god's lavish gift of righteousness that you don't even have to work for and that's the beauty of the romans we're going to see so many things in the book of romans so many questions will be answered and i think it's going to just leave you wanting more of god i promise you so don't miss it if for any reason you miss it we're trying to record these sessions on our mixer platform so you can go to the show reel and listen to it over again. But I'm going to stop here. I'll pray real quick so that we can take some announcements and then we'll be out of here. Heavenly Father, thank you for the revelation of your word that you had a plan from the beginning of the world to bring us to yourself. Thank you because you chose the gospel. You chose Jesus. Thank you because in him we are made right with God. And I thank you because we're starting a journey together on this platform. Lord, we commit the journey into your hands. And I pray that there will be practical results from our study. It will not just be head knowledge, but it will flow out into our lives, into our living, into our communication. And for everyone who is here with a burden listening to us right now, a burden emotional, you know, financial, health-wise, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Because we know you answer prayers. We just may not know how you do them. But we see in your word that you are a faithful God. And so we pray and agree together by faith that they are relieved of those financial struggles. They are relieved of those health challenges. They are relieved Mm -hmm. of that emotional pain. And Mm -hmm. they are free right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right. Uh, thank you so much, Ernest. Thank you so so much. So, um, does anyone have any questions? Let's start from there. All right. Let me take your question. We're already on time, but um, you. you know, you guys, you're free to go. We're done. Thank you guys for tuning in. But I want to take questions now. Oh, so my question was in regards. I think the last um two verses you spoke about. First to the Jews and to the Gentiles. What's he talking about revelation? Like in the sense of God revealing the gospel to them first or salvation? Do you, do you get my question? I, I get you. It's both. So um, first of all, the message itself, right? 
was preached to the Jews first. If you read Acts with us, you remember mm-hmm. it started with the Jews, right? It started mm-hmm. at, the, uh, at the day of Pentecost. Everyone is there. Peter preaches to the Jews and 3,000 Jews are saved, right? Mm-hmm. And then we see the Samaritans later on receiving the, the, the Holy Spirit, right? You remember in Acts 7 and Acts 8, we see that transition to the Samaritans. And then we see the Gentiles, like in Cornelius, Acts chapter 10, receiving the Holy Spirit too. So it started with the Jews, and then it goes all the way to the Gentiles. So that's in in the sense of salvation and in the sense of the gospel. Does that make sense? So it started with the Jews, and then it ends up reaching the Gentiles as well. Basically, like, through them, basically. Through them and to them. That was the phraseology I used. So through them, because what do you mean by to them? It was like if okay, if someone's going through somebody, it's not necessarily about it's not necessarily about the thing that is being. I get you. Head. So it first came to okay. Some think about it this way. I have a letter for you to give Ruth. So give this letter mm-hmm. to Ruth. But I say, oh, you can read it. Mm-hmm. Now, is it through you or to you? It's to both of us, then, uh, if uh, I can. That's exactly my point. So it was through you and it was to you at the same time. Okay, basically. You get it now. Okay, I get it. Because yeah. I, I, I thought it was... Um, how do I put my... I thought it was, like, the... I don't even know. I can't remember, my, but you have explained this, so thank you. All right, but don't worry. Trust me, like, I think most of these questions will be organically answered. Because... That's the thing about Bible study. As you just study, you, your answers come. There's no, there's no two ways about that. All right, nice question. Thank you. That was an awesome meal. Thank you for joining us as we studied the Word of God. If you would like to join the actual Word Dinner sessions live on Fridays, you can visit the link bmg.disha.page. It's always on Fridays, 9 p.m. West African time. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at bmg.global and... See you when next it's dinner time.